You're listening to the Hindu Business Line's Field Notes podcast with Tia Vivek. Hello dear listeners and welcome to another episode of Hindu Business Line's Field Notes, the weekly podcast on all things agribusiness. You can find us on our website www.businessline.in. Field Notes is available on all podcasting platforms such as Apple and Google Podcasts and Spotify. You can watch us on Business Line's YouTube channel now. For feedback and comments or if you want us to discuss any issue in particular you can write to me my email is in the description right today we will be talking about uh, cow belches burps and farts no this is not a laughing matter livestock uh, produce nearly 90 million tons of methane every year and uh, methane is one of the most potent greenhouse gases with the ability to trap 25 times more heat than carbon dioxide cattle are the top agricultural source of greenhouse gases worldwide each year uh, a single cow belches and farts roughly 200 kilos of methane and uh, india has by far the world's largest cattle population and therefore in climate change discussions often uh, its farming sector is the target of activists to discuss this issue we are joined today by dr raghavendra bhat Dr Raghavendra Bhatt is the director of uh, the National Institute of Animal Nutrition and Physiology NIANP based in Bangalore. NIANP is part of the Indian Council for Agriculture Research. Dr Bhatt is India's leading expert on enteric methane emissions. Um thanks to his research India has been able to map state wise uh, livestock methane emissions not just that he and his colleagues have developed cattle feed that can cut methane emissions by as much as 25% last year he received a patent for uh, an innovative feed method that uses husk from tamarind seeds to cut emissions tamarind seeds otherwise have uh, no commercial value dr but welcome to field notes Yeah good morning yeah thank you i'm fine how are you i'm very fine uh, dr but tell us why enteric methane emissions you know while it may sound like a laughing matter the farts and burps of of cows and livestock why is this a major challenge for global warming yeah let me at the outset let me uh, thank you for the uh, invitation uh, let me uh, take a just a minute to introduce the institute before i uh, start the subject Mm-hmm. the national institute of animal nutrition and physiology is an uh, iso 9001 2015 certified uh, institute under the indian council of uh, agriculture research and it is a 25 year old uh, institute relatively young and right now we have 39 scientists uh, working here institute is established to conduct basic and fundamental research uh, uh, in animal nutrition and uh, physiology and uh, we have three major uh challenges the first challenge is as you know the quality of feed uh, resources and availability and the second is uh, the livestock physiology and the reproduction part and the last one is uh, uh, it is the last not the last one but is the most important one is the climate change and now coming to the uh, uh, specific this sub, uh, subject like why it is so important as you know that uh, uh, we have in india have a a uh, quinquennial livestock census that means we have every 5 years we have a livestock census and uh, the last livestock census was in the year 2017 so that is the latest one we have before that we had in 2012 and before that we had in 2007 so as per the late 
digital livestock uh, census, uh, we have 193 million cattle, we have 109 million uh, buffaloes, then 149 million uh, goats, and we have around uh, 74 million uh, sheep. And you also uh, should know that you know uh, India is producing around 200 million tons of milk, which is the highest in the world. Mm -hmm. Now, yes, these are the, the positive part of it, and uh, we should also that would know make that India the, the the country with the largest livestock population. You are right. No livestock population in the sense, you know, if if you look at the buffaloes, we are the second, and if you look at the goat, again the numbers are different. But roughly, we say, you know, we have the, as far as the milk production is concerned, we are the highest. Okay. So, uh, it was around 180, then 190. Now, we say almost about 200 million tons. And the requirement, if you look at the requirement for milk by 2030, uh, again, you know, the forecast is around uh, another 100 million tons. So, basically, because of the reason uh, that, that uh, one thing is... Uh, no, see, India is the only country where you know uh, they we have a habit of you know fluid milk consumption. That is the liquid milk consumption. But if you look at the if you go to European Union or maybe in the US, you know you don't find people uh, drinking liquid milk. So they prefer to have uh, milk products, mm -hmm. okay, like your uh, uh, cheese or or uh, yogurt or some flavored milk or of course you know butter and things like that. But India is one country, I think traditionally we have, you know, uh, we have a habit of drinking milk. Uh, not only young children, even the adults also feel that you know, having a glass of milk is always you know, highly nutritious. Now, with the change in the lifestyle and also the purchase power, we expect that, you know, this consumption of these uh, milk products will go up. As on date, our... Uh, the conversion of the milk to milk products is relatively low as compared to other countries. And uh, so we are expecting that, you know, it will cross roughly around 50% or 60% of the milk gets uh, converted into the product. Mm -hmm. So invariably, so now we go to any malls. So you can see a lot of this, you know, see earlier it was very difficult to find. Now you can see a whole range of cheese, not only one cheese, you have the cheddar cheese and so many cheese and you have flavored milk and you have yogurt. And so obviously, you know, people are tend to buy these, you know, thinking because of this nutrition value, all that. So we expect that the milk consumption is likely to go up. And so we have to produce more. So to produce more, see, there are different options, you know, see the horizontal expansion is, is not an option with us because we don't have, as you know, that because more and more urbanization takes place, we don't have that much of land for, you know, earlier, you remember, there's something like, a community grazing land where the animals are let loose, they used to graze and come back. Now, mm -hmm. slowly, that is called the extensive system of rearing. Now, from there, we are going for the semi-intensive system of rearing, wherein the animals are uh, have a limited amount of uh, grazing land. Then the last one is the intensive system of rearing, where, you know, uh, typically in the heart of Bangalore City, you see some excellent dairies, well-maintained. It's an intensive system of rearing where, you know, of, uh, tie the animals in a you know, well-ventilated shed and give them with the excellent feed and fodder. So now coming to the question of this uh, enteric methane emission, see a uh, little bit for the audience, you know, if, for example, if they are not uh, used to what exactly is the rumen or the, the fermentation, unless uh, the human beings or the pigs or the poultry or dog, we call uh, the ruminants like the cattle, buffalo, sheep and goat, 
they have four chambers uh, in the stomach. Okay, we are called the simple stomach animals. Okay, like human beings and uh, dog, cat, and uh, uh, poultry and pig. Whereas uh, uh, in the ruminants, there are uh, four chambers. The first chamber is called the, the rumen. The second is called the reticulum. Then the omasum and the abomasum. So the abomasum is the true stomach part of uh, this particular animal. So initially, it is a fermentation which takes place in the rumen. And uh, whatever they see, uh, you know, you know, we don't feed them in a high quality uh, diet unless until uh, intensive system of rearing. We feed them with the fodder, we feed them with the grasses, we feed them with the all sorts of byproducts and a paddy straw, and a wheat straw, and all sorts of straw. So all these things they get fermented uh, in the rumen. In the rumen, you know, we have there is a symbiotic relationship between they have the bacteria, they have the uh, fungi. Then we have the protozoa and the archaea. Okay, so when the fermentation takes place, they release uh, the uh, short-chain volatile fatty acid called the acetic, butyric, and the propionic acid. In this process, and this bacteria and the protozoa, there is a, a huge amount of you know, gas getting you know uh, produced. So, uh, to just to give an example, uh, uh, when 10 kg of uh, uh, feed is fermented, we get around you know. Um, around 3 kgs of volatile fatty acids, around 250 liters of carbon dioxide, and the same amount, whatever the extra hydrogen is produced, that gets converted into a methane. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this methane uh, gets burped out uh, when they're in the, uh, the expiration takes place, when the animal uh, expired gas, it mixes with the uh, CO2 and methane, it comes out. And uh, Two reasons, you know, uh, why it is so important. That the first reason is around 10% of the whatever the energy the animal consumes, it goes for the production of methane. So it's a wastage of basically it's a wastage of biological energy. Mm -hmm. Okay. So and energy is a very very critical nutrient for the production. For example, 10% is especially for the Indian condition. It's, it's a lot of energy. So and the second is. This methane is 25 times more powerful as a greenhouse gas as compared to methane. To tell you in a simple words, a production of one ton of methane is equal to around 25 tons of carbon dioxide. So mm -hmm. that's what, you know, so global warming potential of this is very high and it is a wastage of biological energy. So as veterinarians and as animal nutritionists, and if you're able to uh, cut down or reduce this uh, enteric methane emission, and that much portion of biological energy, which is going for methane, gets converted into productive functions. Because as you know, the, the law of energy, so once the energy gets uh, diverted from one form to other, so invariably, uh, this energy gets uh, goes for the production functions. Uh, in case of uh, maybe growing animals, uh, when it is, has a fully functional rumen, uh, more than three months, so this will go for its growth. And in case of uh, adult animals, if it is a producing animal, for example, it's a, it's a dairy cow, this energy gets converted for productive function. That is that is a milk. And mm -hmm. on an average, uh, an adult cattle, Indian uh, cattle, uh, we say, they, of course, basically it depends on the diet. Okay, let me make one point very clear. So when we say uh, it's 200 liters, the adult cattle produces around 200 liters of methane per day, mm -hmm. right? And 
Uh, in case of growing heifers, it may be around 85 to 95 liters, something around 100 liters. And in case of uh, sheep, it is around 20 to 25 liters. And uh, as I mentioned, that every kg uh, of methane is almost equal to around 55.65 uh, uh, megajoules of energy. So it's a wastage of energy. So uh, uh, two things are there. I'll just uh, deviate from here and uh, uh, coming to the inventory component of this. See, India has been always blamed uh, for producing you know, a very high amount of entric methane emission as compared to the Western countries. They're just talking about, you know, India is producing so much of methane, which is responsible for global warming and all that. So unfortunately, uh, we didn't have a credible inventory. People have tried. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you mean when you say uh, inventory, inventory of methane? Inventory, and also, yeah. Inven uh, also, I would like you to, uh, you know, juxtapose uh, the amount of enteric methane emission in India and compare it with the world. You know, how much would be the total annual global enteric methane emission and how does India compare given its very large uh, uh, cattle population? Yeah, uh, I, I'll come to that point. So, the inventory is, is the total amount of enteric methane that is being produced in India. That's a figure. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we call it as, you know, people call it as a database or we call it as inventory. So you like the way we have the, the livestock census. How do we have the livestock census? As I mentioned, so uh, we have the quinquennial livestock census and based on that. So similarly, inventory means what is the amount of enteric methane emission that is uh, produced by the these uh, ruminants? There are different sources of that. So I'll restrict myself to only the inventory component as far as the entry methane is concerned. Now, there's an international organization called the uh, IPCC. Uh, it is a UN body. It is called the Intergovernmental uh, Panel on Climate Change. So they give the uh, country-wise uh, value. For example, in India, they give a value saying that if you use this value, you can uh, uh, calculate the entry methane emission. So people have started working on that. Uh, they are all based on the secondary data, not the primary data. So uh, National Institute of Animal Nutrition Physiology being a, uh, being a premier institute, we thought, you know, we should develop our own inventory based on the primary data. So we started working. It's almost uh, last 10 to 15 years efforts. So we came out with a figure. It's something around uh, roughly uh, around nine teragrams. Teragrams refers to uh, million tons. That means our livestock is producing around 9 million tons of methane, enteric methane emission per year. Mm -hmm. If you compare it with a global enteric methane emission, it is about 90. So globally, the enteric methane emission from the livestock is around 90. And whereas we are producing roughly around 9 million tons. And globally, the manure methane, which is not the uh, subject of my discussion, uh, means manure means, you know, uh, as you know, all... Uh, when the, when the manure you let loose or you get gober gas, which is also mm. methane. So uh, globally, they are producing around you know, 10 million tons of manure methane, whereas our contribution is just one. Because we have a traditional way of converting this manure into the dunk cakes, and we don't allow too much of these lagoons, except the poultry, uh, sorry, in the in case of uh, piggery. So we don't have too much of lagoons, you know, where, you know, you the invent, uh, methane uh, gets emitted. Now, this is the, uh, the relative contribution of the, uh, as far as the global value is concerned, our contribution, I personally feel, is very low. I would like to add one more point here. When we talk about entric methane emission, so we should not be talking in isolation, right? We have the social issues, 
okay it is not only that you know the animals are rare uh, only for the milk okay we have very important social uh, fabric of uh, the indian culture uh, we, we worship these animals and uh, uh, it is but also Dr. But, uh, uh, it seems uh, this you know a 10% contribution of enteric methane seems rather substantial see if you look at the what is the contribution of the livestock to the annual gdp mm-hmm. right so compared to that this 10% i personally is not a big big figure and second thing i would like to uh, add here that ne- needs to be a clarification on this because there's something called a, a life cycle assessment lca we call it as lca lca takes into account the carbon footprint of for example the livestock production in the us so the corn that is being produced the amount of fertilizer being added the carbon footprint of the carbon uh, the uh, fertilizer application then the harvesting component then the transportation component then the storage component then the process component all these have to be taken into account so you mm-hmm. take uh, particularly indian conditions for example the amount of fertilizer application is very you know very very low as compared to that uh, of the us or the uh, other developed countries and we are not going to process the paddy straw there is nothing like a processing here so mm-hmm. our carbon footprint as well as the processing is negligible the transportation cost is very low and we don't transport a very long this one so carbon footprint of the uh, transportation also very low and the storage component see we are simply storing the dry forage so there is nothing like an air condition and all that so if you look at the lca approach take into all account because right now we don't have a full fledged data and we are also working on that so our contribution is not that significant but as far as the animal nutritionist as far as the veterinarians are concerned yes why we are talking about enteric methane emission is like we sh- it, it's a sensitization of for all the uh, people that you should also know that we are contributing but in the not only the it is a global warming aspect of it we are also looking at how to reduce the energy wastage mm-hmm. so that way i consider as as a more important rather than significant uh, because many people make you know really hue and cry about you know uh, so not taking into account the social aspect the economic socio economic aspects of the the uh, the farmers especially the, the medium and the in the low uh, uh, land holders so for them it's a, it's a and see look at the farmers tomorrow you go and tell him you know see your cattle is producing so much of methane this is a climate issue what are trying to do he said i am not really concerned about you please talk about you know the air condition you people are using the transportation you are using the aircraft you are using and other things you are using and this is a poor animal which is a livestock mm-hmm. which is everything for me and it is also giving about you know, 2 to 3 liters of milk it also gives a, a manure and uh, it is a social security for me so we have to look into that aspect as well rather than talking only about hitting one nail no it is enteric methane mm-hmm. emission it is a livestock i think uh, that's not a correct uh, approach to discussing a national issue so mm-hmm. we have to have a holistic approach as far as the enteric methane emission is concerned Mm-hmm. uh doctor but as a scientist uh, you have been uh, working both on as you as you described on the mapping of enteric methane emission in india and also on mitigating it could you tell us about you know if i look at on your website if i look at the uh, enteric methane emission map most of it seems concentrated in the north of india 
Yeah, that, that's what uh, I was talking is it, about. Is it, ju- it is just a is it just a population issue uh, where concentration of cattle is more, or or are there any other mitigating factors uh, in the south? Yeah, yeah. Well, what what we wanted to uh, do here is see once you have the inventory, what we did uh, as compared to the IPCC default value based on the uh, livestock census and based on the feeding practices. And uh, earlier we had an uh, a mega project with the 22 centers all over the country. So we documented what are the feed resources that is being fed to the livestock. Then we collected these samples and estimated what is the methane production potential. For example, methane production potential of the paddy straw or wheat straw or finger millet straw or maize cardaby or javar strover and different diet combinations of throughout the country we screened you know, a large number of uh, diet sample as well as the uh, uh, individual ingredients. We came out with the uh, methane production potential of different regions. And based on that, we came out with the a state-specific value. So instead of having one value for the whole country, we came out with the entric methane emission for different states. And based on that, we pulled it. And we came out with figure uh, something around nine uh, teragrams. Now, once we know that you know this is the entric methane emission from the Indian uh, uh, livestock, we also try to identify some of the hotspots. Mm-hmm. The idea of identifying hotspots, which I think you must have seen in our website, is that so if you really want to address the methane issue, you address those states where the entric methane emission is very high. And if you see that Karnataka is not figuring in the hotspot. Okay, so what we have said that those states which are producing more for more than five percent of the inventory, so that mm-hmm. only we have taken into account. For example, if you see, uh, you don't see uh, Punjab and Haryana, you don't mm-hmm. see Karnataka. Which which, which are the hotspots? Yeah, so hotspots are starting with Uttar Pradesh, then we have Madhya Pradesh, we have Rajasthan, we have uh, undivided uh, Telangana, Andhra Pradesh. So these are the, you know, starting with the Uttar Pradesh. Yeah, as you, as you, you know, it's a good question. You asked whether it's basically because of the, the livestock numbers or it is also because of the, the feeding management. It is a combination of both. See, generally what happens when you have more number of indigenous animals, uh, like our, uh, 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 unlike the crossbred animals, like, you know, horse and uh, or uh, uh, jersey. So, the feeding management of these uh, crossbred animals this is, are sin, always... Sindhi or Tharparkar varieties, the, the desi uh, yeah, cows. Sahi, feed, Sahiwal, feed Sahiwal, you can talk about, yeah, Sahiwal, Kankrej, Gir, Dioni, or Malnargidda. There, there are so many. So they are the indigenous mm-hmm. breeds. So as compared to that, the milk production in crossbred are always, we know, they are you know, on the higher side. So invariably, the feeding practices for the crossbred animals are a better as compared to the indigenous right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so though we know that, you know, the Sahiwal and Gir have very high uh, milk production potential, but unfortunately, uh, the uh, during the, uh, as you know, that white revolution, we started this uh, uh, crossbreeding and we, we were able to, see, one of the reasons why India is able to produce so much of milk in is basically because of the crossbreeding. Now, the mm-hmm. government of India has taken a decision that, you know, so we should also conserve our indigenous breeds. Okay, uh, let me not deviate. So, uh, the hotspots refers to those uh, uh, areas where the antric methane emission is on the, on the higher side. 
so if you really want to start to address the enteric methane emission please start with the those places where the enteric methane emission is high rather than starting concentrating on maybe on tamil nadu or karnataka or kerala or punjab or haryana so start working on those areas where you can reduce the enteric methane emission uh, are you saying that it is also a function of uh, uh, more concentration of native breeds of cows no it, it's a, no basically it is is the diet hmm. okay so we have been working on this area because sometimes you know people ask whether the indigenous animals are producing more methane as compared to crossbred whether the buffaloes are producing more methane as compared to uh, the crossbred animals so uh, we have been working on this uh, area so recently we developed you know an exhaustive data and uh, it clearly indicates it, it is not the that animal which makes the difference it is the diet for example if you feed the same diet to cattle buffaloes indigenous as well as the crossbred so there is no significant difference as far as the enteric methane emissions concerned so it is the see if you look at uh, gujarat if you look at karnataka so uh, as you know that you know the dairy is so well established uh, the amul model and ours is in karnataka milk federation so uh, like our nandini brand so people are you know so much concerned about you know feeding of the animals and uh, the cooperative movement is so well established that people are feeding better as compared to those areas where you know this uh, dairy is not that well developed maybe that animals are not fed uh, you know with a very high concentrate diets so uh, i would like to just add here for example when the animals when the, the cattle and buffaloes are fed with the very coarse diet like for example by products your paddy straw or wheat bran or any of the dry fodder the enteric methane emission is very high mm-hmm. and if you feed them with any of the concentrate now concentrate mean maybe cattle feed or your compounded feed or any green grass or legumes or cereal grains the methane production comes down so one of the ways or the simplest way to reduce enteric methane emission is we call it is a concept of ration balancing when you know that animals are fed not as per the requirement they are fed more of this uh, the roughage based diet if you feed them with some of the concentrate the enteric methane emission is going to get reduced so basically wherever you see the enteric methane emission is lower are those areas where these animals are you know the dairy is very well developed it is a cooperative movement and animals you know the farmers are so when dairy is taken as an enterprise okay and well established cooperative uh, um, sector a lot of milk production lot of this uh, uh, milk products uh, classical example is your amul and and nandini where you know you have you know so the the milk production is very high so invariably the animals are fed a better diet as compared to those areas where the dairy is not well developed or the animals are fed uh, with a, a relatively a lower uh, quality of diet so mm-hmm. ideally uh, enteric methane amelioration you know which we have been working on that that the primarily if you can feed them with a better diet so if you see our website uh, we have developed a software okay it's a, it's called feed assist and uh, there are two uh, one is a feed chart and there is a feed assist and this feed assist is available in an android version and uh, i'd like to uh, share with the viewers that if somebody is interested uh, to download and uh, uh, they can uh, contact us so it, it is a simple version where 
all the raw metals have been listed what you have to do you should know the body weight of the animals and there is also a way to calculate if you know the the length and the girth the heart girth and the length you can calculate roughly around 350 kg or 375 kg and if you also identify which are all the raw materials you know the feed resources that are available with you and you have to just select and this particular software will tell you for example the the an adult dairy cow producing around 12 liters of milk weighing around 300 kg body weight and you have feed resources like groundnut cake or soybean meal or wheat bran or de-oiled rice bran a bit of paddy straw some maybe some green uh, available with you so you select these and immediately it will tell you for this particular animal how much of feed you are supposed to give and mm -hmm. this is not only a least cost ration and it also a balanced ration by virtue of the balanced ration the enteric methane emission is also quite low so this is the first uh, the approach or the strategy if you really want to see how to reduce enteric methane emission and this is easier way to even to tell the farmer that for example you see you have these, these materials generally i'll tell you if you go to the field condition what they do whatever is available is fed to the animals for example during the rainy season the animals are fed with only greens mm -hmm. right and during the summer season the animals are fed with only dry so we don't have a concept of preserving this you know material when they are in excess for example converting them into silage and keeping them uh, during the lean season and for example if they have some uh, maybe if they are going some legumes they have some husk maybe like for example your black gram husk or bengal gram husk so a combination of mixing of many things and feeding to the animal always is better see for example if you look at uh, our own human diet see we don't only uh, know, eat rice okay we have a combination of sometimes uh, we rice with a bit of uh, wheat with uh, some vegetables and uh, things right so that is called a wholesome diet or the complete diet so and you know, the farmers are advised to feed this complete diet or the total mixation the second strategy or the approach which we have been working on that which have been listed also and which uh, uh, mr vivek was also talking about that after extensive research we have identified that if we are able to uh, uh, feed them see most of this the tree leaves uh, whether it is in the north or in the south they contain a, a polyphenolic compound they are generally called uh, we call it as tannins or sometimes you know they also can some saponins and some essential oils and all that so these tannins have earlier you know few years back you know tannins are uh, described as anti nutritional factors okay mm -hmm. so uh, because they are called the bitter principles and this is a classical example for example if you eat a raw tamarind okay you can see your tongue almost you know it becomes after some time start feeling really thick and yeah. sometimes you know if you some leaves if you put it on your mouth you know it will start bitter principles so they are called the bitter mm -hmm. principles and like the pan also at, right at, yes so at a very high level these are antinutritional factors but if you identify the source and the best dose optimum dose if you feed them you can exploit them to reduce enteric methane emission so we have been working on this approach and we have screened a uh, lot many uh, tree leaves that are available uh, in the north and in the northeast and in the south so based on that we came out not only tree leaves some of the other compounds which are uh, very rich. okay 
that's it for part one and we'll be soon back with you with part two of this conversation yeah okay. dr but tell us about um, you know uh, last year you received a patent for a new product uh, um, to mitigate enteric methane emissions tell us about that yeah now at at this point you know i'd like to you know share with you that uh, uh, based on the extensive research which i was i was talking about this uh, the phenolic constituents and uh, we came out with a product you know uh, we call it as haridhara uh, haridhara refers to uh, it's a hindi term uh, it's it's green earth so basically uh, of course for this also we have another patent and uh, the composition uh, um, cannot be disclosed at this moment the basically what it does when we use haridhara that uh, uh, not only uh, uh, reduces the protozoa which are responsible for production of this the very high uh, uh, hydrogen concentration in the rumen and there will also be a shift in the fermentation which was i was talking about when you feed with a lot of this uh, uh, by products like the um, paddy straw or wheat straw whatever it is so there is a shift in the fermentation from acetic butyric to uh, propionic acid so uh, the propionic acid is a natural hydrogen sick in the rumen so that way haridhara acts by changing the fermentation pattern as well as uh, a partial uh, reduction of the protozoa in turn we will get uh, around 17 to 20% reduction in the uh, methane okay you may ask me you know like why not 100% reduction in the methane why only 20% so if you are making a 100% reduction in the methane emission means we are converting a rumen uh, into a simple mm-hmm. stomach animal so which is practically not possible also not feasible and we are not supposed to do it because mm-hmm. the beauty of the rumen environment in is that you know the animal can consume or convert the large quantity of by products you know which are available for example you know it's a big industry you know the the compound livestock feed manufacturer association in in india feed industry itself is a, is a very big industry which the animals are. so we have no intention to convert and this should not become another competitor to human food okay mm-hmm. so uh, all along we are mentioning you know see for example poultry uh, like you know uh, uh, a lot of soybean is being used for uh, poultry feed a lot of corn is going for poultry feed and more or less you know sometimes you know in for pigs and whereas uh, cattle and buffaloes they are not competing with your uh, human food because most of them are the, they feed only on the byproducts okay whether the dioil cakes or the broken rind or broken mm-hmm. rice or it's a wheat bran so we so the question you know uh, many people ask why only 17 to 20% one so if we go beyond 20% invariably you know you'll have some alteration in the fermentation pattern and the whole the uh, the uh, ecosystem of the rumen get disturbed so we are not mm-hmm. going beyond that and even this 20% of uh, reduction in the methane emission is quite uh, quite substantial what we have seen is a trial a pilot study uh, conducted in the lactating animals has seen that uh, even with this uh, 20% reduction so the farmer is able to get around 250 uh, ml of uh, more milk uh, in case of lactating animals now even if you say that uh, the milk procurement is around 30 uh, rupees per liter at the uh, cooperative level so the cost benefit ratio of this uh, haridhara preparation is around uh, 1 is to 3 Mm-hmm. okay so the if you invest one though uh, the uh, farmer is going to get you uh, know 3 rupees benefit of okay, but uh, and uh, so interestingly you have used uh, uh, i believe uh, uh, the husk of tamarind uh, seeds 
you know uh, that seems rather interesting it's a it's a it's a waste product you know there are no commercial uses for it yeah so, so you, basically you able to extract yeah, something out of it and use it uh, for methane no, mitigation no no so basically that is a the whole concept you know the approach is uh, a waste to wealth Mm-hmm. okay so we don't see many times you know anything you talk about amelioration you say okay for example tomorrow you come out with a pill and tell the farmer you know you uh, feed this and uh, 10 rupees per pill and it is going to reduce methane so he will not be interested so here uh, our interest is to see that uh, those products which are otherwise are uh, being wasted or being used as a manure or maybe something gag like for uh, uh, um, um, literally thrown out so if you are able to uh, do that so tamarind seed his husk is one of the components we have screened and uh, we have seen that you know it is really working well so and in that we were able to uh, that dose and all that we will not be able to disclose uh, because mm-hmm. uh, there has a patent on it so oh, that is the thing if, uh, if for example now a, a tomorrow an industry uh, comes and says okay i would like to take this particular haridara technology so what he can do is there are two ways of using this the one way is uh, he can uh, manufacture a supplement uh, as per the formulation and he can give it to the farmer okay maybe on a farmer uh, self help group or a cooperative society so every day uh, they should feed around 250 grams in the morning 250 grams in the evening and uh, uh, the uh, you can see the, the improvement in their milk yield and otherwise if delivery of this product is an issue what he can do he can uh, use it in the uh, compound livestock feed itself so it can replace a part of the uh, wheat bran or maybe a uh, Dior rice bran. So both these wheat bran and rice bran are uh, relatively more uh, expensive as compared to Haridara. Haridara costs around six uh, rupees per kilo, whereas you don't get any conventional raw material, you know, less than ten or eleven rupees per kg. So as an industry, so straight away you are going to get around three to four rupees off per kg. Mm-hmm. So you convert into ten. okay uh, so you convert into uh, maybe the whole uh, uh, for example if somebody is producing 1000 tons of feed or 2000 tons of feed or 3000 tons of feed per month so accordingly you see the benefit and in turn you know you are doing dual advantage the farmer is getting benefited by the extra amount of milk he is going to get by 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 view of uh, the reduced methane emission and because of the enteric methane reduction so obviously you are doing a lot good for to make, you know keep this uh, uh, ambience as clean as green as possible so we are preventing the global warming and mm-hmm. now we are also working on other area and uh, which i thought i thought I'll, i'll share with you now there are some seaweeds which also have been uh, tested to be you know very efficient as far as the enteric methane emission is concerned and uh, especially uh, we have a collaborative uh, now uh, initiative with other institute called uh, uh central institute of fishery technology caft cochin and what they are doing is the caft are extracting some of the nutraceuticals from the seaweed so after extracting the nutraceuticals whatever the left out is there which are available in you know large quantity otherwise it is thrown so that we have tested and they also have you know very potent anti methanogenic properties which are working on that and already uh, uh, a patent is on the uh, in the pipeline so uh, ultimately what we are looking at i would like to share here is see it is not that one pill which works for the whole country mm. it is not a one pill therapy so mm. our idea is region specific resource available 
mitigation or the amelioration technology for example what is for in south jack leaves some of the neem leaves if you are able to you know uh, uh, feed it to the animals they also reduce methane emission and mean jack, if jack you fruit go, leaves yeah jack fruit leaves and even the neem leaves and uh, you know you know a very small quantity if you are able to feed it to the animals they also reduce methane emission and if you go to uh, the north especially in, in uh, rajasthan and those areas uh, there is a tree called uh, prosopis cineraria it is in common term uh, it's called kejri and which is highly palatable and they are also very rich in uh, 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 tannins so they are also able to uh, reduce anthropogenic emission so not we are not telling that you know this is one uh, strategy which can be used for the whole country so right. Uh, at different places because ultimately it should be economically viable practically feasible and it should be as simple as possible you know it should not be too complicated as far as the feed industry is concerned so they are also looking at something which the density should not change the color should not change the palatability should not get affected so all these you know uh, parameters are looked into when we are screen this material and coming out with this particular product and i'm sure that uh, many people are uh, interested in that and uh, the negotiations are going on and other thing i tell you uh, even the government at the government uh, level uh, they can take a policy decision for example you know uh, now uh, neem coated urea it's a decision mm. taken by the government of india that whatever the urea you are producing it has to be essentially coated with neem so that you know there should not be an adulteration so tomorrow government of india animal husband department comes out with a uh, a policy decision and order saying that all the feed uh, that are being manufactured in india compound feed should essentially contain an anti methanogenic substance of mm-hmm. anything you know not necessarily uh, tamarind seed husk or uh, something else so then what happens you know throughout india the total animal feeds are going to you know uh, whatever the animals are going to consume these feeds uh, they are uh, you know reducing enteric methane emission so the whole quantity of enteric methane emission now we are talking about something around maybe 9 even if you reduce by around to 20% so it substantially it gets reduced by maybe something around 7 which is i think is a very practicable and uh, a, a novel approach to reduce enteric methane emission from the indian livestock so i would like to also add here this is not only one area which nnp is working on and we are also working on the physiology and reproduction aspect which also you know uh, i think uh, given an opportunity maybe something can be shared sure, with you we will we and, will soon and the quality feed and uh, feed resources is another area where you know for that also we have many approaches you know we have uh, grain sprouts which is a new concept uh, and we also something like repro fat because the low milk fat syndrome is another issue in the farm conditions where you know the animals uh, the milk is procured based on the uh, lactometer reading sometimes mm-hmm. you know they find it very difficult to see to it that the grading is very low so we have another product we call it as reproprat plus there are many things which can be shared with, with you so uh, sure, thanks so sure. much for the opportunity forward. yeah thank you i, I thank feel you. it is only a beginning thank you good day yes. dr but thank you very much for joining us today and talking about this much neglected issue listeners goodbye and god bless until we meet next week 